the songs that I make are like little diary entries and maybe putting them out there in the world, like on a record or whatever, is a way of feeling less alone. You know, I, I like to describe it as like putting out my E.T. finger. You know how E.T. has that glowing finger and like is reaching out for a connection. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. I very rarely um, play music with people that I don't like personally or get a very bad vibe from, you know? So I feel like it's, it's such a social thing and you can kind of instinctively tell whether you would click with a person, um, you know, in a friend, a friend style way. I feel like same as music, you know, it's all wrapped in to one for me. So um, I think if the magic is there with a, with a conversation, then the magic can be there with a with playing music together. Usually, it's the downfall of many bands. Uh, <laughs> that's why I play solo. No, I do play a lot of solo. But, but you know, yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. Music though is a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's done the right way. But you know, in the Cure, I was the person who was in charge of all the uh, you know electronics and stuff and and right. you know the rest of them are luddites you know if you can't hit it or bang it they don't want to know you know so i'm kind of that way <laughs> i had a dragon kicking and screaming into the 21st yeah. century you know a little bit <laughs> where do your ex-colleagues send all all the uh, all the nasty mail lol <laughs> <laughs> it that's not true it's not true what he said no he was telling lies it wasn't that it's not that way at all i was the one who did all the programming <laughs> That's what happens in bands, you see. That's what happens. You, you you meet on these magic moments. You all meet up and go, oh, you're great. Should we form a band? You go, brilliant. And you get down the pub and you have a, you have a great night. And it's all good for about a year, so I'm told. <laughs> if you're lucky. If you're lucky. And then it's a bit like a relationship. It goes up and down, up and down. And they might come up and you might go down and it might come back together and then it gets brilliant again, you know. But it's, it really is. It goes in phases. And then somebody might, you know, leave or somebody might get kicked out or whatever. But it, I think it is. It's just like any other you know, commitment. To, you know, there, some things do work in, in the long term, but there's a kind of maybe other things fall by the wayside. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. It's true. When I was fourteen or fifteen, I would read, you know, in the Melody Maker about bands breaking up. I think, why? Why did they do that? That's, you know, what's wrong with them? They make great music, you know. And it wasn't until I got into the whole thing and realised, oh yeah, you know. And they they, they all look so good together, and obviously, and, and that, <laughs> that, that her hair is so brilliant. Um, Mary, Mary, have you got close to being in, in an ensemble for a lengthy time? I Not for a lengthy time, but like for two years, I um, I toured with Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth yeah. with his acoustic band. We made a record, Demolished Thoughts, yeah. together, and uh, then I was touring with them. And um, I don't know. I, I loved it. I definitely romanticize bands um, still as a person who travels a lot. 
alone with the harp, I always think like, oh man, I wish I had my band, a band family here. Like, oh, I'm driving past the Grand Canyon. Like, if I had, I don't want to go alone. If I had my band family here, then we could all like have this memory of going to see the Grand Canyon together and stuff. So I don't know. I feel like my, um, my career has been a lot of me just by myself in the car with the harp kind of um, dreaming about uh, being in a band and romanticizing it. But I also know that, you know, there can be problems too, for sure. But. Only a few, <laughs> just, a, just, just a few yeah. problems. I mean, driving past the Grand Canyon could be one of those problems. That could be a problematic moment though, when you think, hmm, look, they're all right near the edge. Oh, shit. All I have to do. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, nobody would know. Nobody would know, and I'd have a solo career just like that. Ping. <laughs> we went one year. We were we playing in Buffalo, you know, in upstate New York, and it was like very snowy, and we had a little time free, so we drove out to Niagara Falls. And at that time of year, because it's the middle of winter, there's nobody there, right? So we climbed over, and I will deny this if it goes to court, right? We climbed over the barrier uh, uh, to uh, get closer to the falls, you know, and take a photo oh for our Christmas card that year. And it ended up <laughs> with a photo by our Christmas card. But it occurred to me after we got back, one false move, and half of us would have been, yeah, over the falls and dead. Yeah. Are we talking to cure here, lol? <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I do. You still have this card? I... <laughs> we we want a copy of the card. We, we want to see this card. Yeah, I think I've got one somewhere. <laughs> Who was it? Robert? You, Robert? Paul? Yeah. Um, and Simon? Yeah. And maybe maybe Boris? I don't know. I think um, yeah. Paul drew some like little Santa hats on us on the photo and stuff. You know. So isn't it funny? We might have been. You know, because uh, the banshees, Susie, and the banshees. Um, I have photographs. I'm not in the photograph because I took the photograph underneath the falls. Wow. Underneath that little walkway underneath where rather than the, the what's called the maid of the mist goes sailing by. But you have to wear like ye- a big yellow, like um, sou'wester on the head and a yellow cape. So you're completely yellow. So there's Susie Severin and Tuna and the tour manager. And um, who was the guitarist? I think it might have been John. Would it have been John? John, John, John. John Carruthers. Yeah, I think so. John, it wasn't John McGee. Okay, I think, I think it was. I knew it was, cool. I knew it was called John. It was definitely John. Anyway, <laughs> you guys were wearing yellow capes. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was being cool, but I wasn't in the photograph, so you would not have no. No, I probably was because <laughs> it's soaking down there. It's like just you know millions of gallons of water f- flowing over your head, but it's just like you're just covered in spray. <laughs> um, and uh, so that photograph turned up in. in the only book of the Banshees. I got some photographs in that, and that's one of them. Amazing. These are the happy memories, you know, sharing those moments with somebody. Yeah, and you will always have them. You know, I, I realized that when the band stopped and when uh, Susie and I also uh, split, that I found myself quite at a loss of what, not what to do or where to go, but kind of how do I do this, you know, because I'd been in a band uh, or been in a team or or been in a marriage and a partnership for so long. But I do remember 
going to meet some people. Um, there was a conference in, it was actually in Saint-Tropez, I think, because I lived in, in the southwest of France there. And so I jumped in a car and drove myself to Saint-Tropez. And there was the most beautiful um, moonrise over the, the Mediterranean. And I was on the, the roof of the hotel. And my first thought was either get on the phone or run downstairs and grab somebody, you know, whoever I was with. But I, I, I wasn't. I was totally on my own. And I think for the first time I thought, just be here. Just be here and, and watch the moon and, and, and marvel at the beauty of it. I may have talked to somebody about it later, but I think it was almost the first time I, I was aware of, you know, just me and nobody else to run out and go, quick, come and see this. Um there are moments when you're with everybody and you find a moment alone. But it, I suppose it was like that significant for me because it was the first time I didn't feel lonely, but I understood to be alone. Um, so maybe that feeds in to the music. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. That's actually the point where I felt like I finally... Um figured some things out when I could be alone and not be lonely. Does that make sense? You know, because I was reading something in an interview that you, you did Mary, you said something that I thought was very interesting and very uh, true to my own experience that it's like when you go on tour, you're going to lots of different places and having different emotions. And a lot of your music was to capture those moments. And we, we talked about that before, like the melancholy you know, I forget what the term was I said, but it's like a, a yearning for something happening, being there, and to travel and play music seems to ignite that, you know. And I, I know the Budgies told me things like that, that he's out in places. And uh, perhaps you could discuss about that for us, how it works in your new record. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely feel like the songs that I make are like little diary entries and maybe putting them out there in the world, like on a record or whatever is a way of feeling less alone. You know, I, I like to describe it as like putting out my ET finger, you know, how ET has that glowing finger and like is reaching out for a connection. Oh, oh. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and I just feel like making music for me and like making recorded music or even playing live for people is kind of like my way of connecting um, with other weirdo loner <laughs> loners, sad girls, you know, <laughs> people that are maybe feeling the same way um, and uh, who carry around a little bit of melancholy. I think it's like, it's like a kindred spirit kind of thing, you know? I like that. I like that thing of you say other people out there because sometimes an audience can be a lot of uh, couples or people together but there are sometimes audiences where the, everybody's on their own I know people who don't like to go to the cinema with anybody else or go to a concert they want to go on their own because they don't want to be disturbed they don't want to, they want to be focused on the on what's going on and yet, if everybody is doing that, they are together. A part, they're creating the experience with you. Yeah. And even when you're in a couple and you're watching the 
a show, you're still alone. You're still like by yourself processing it in your mind, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, we are all alone. I grew up playing classical music. I studied classical music really seriously through college. And hmm. um, at one point I thought it was going to be like an orchestral harpist. Um, yeah. But then, you know, upon being in Thurston's band, writing parts for the record, um, that kind of led into, okay, we're just going to improvise, uh, you know, for a while in this, this key or whatever, this like hmm. zone of notes. And, um, and just, and I was like, well, I've never done that before. You know, I've never, I don't know how to do that. And he's also one of the greatest improvisers in history, you know? So I'm like, that's kind of an intimidating situation. But when someone like that tells you that the notes that the sounds that you're choosing to make from your brain, your vulnerable, most vulnerable music brain, um, that that sounds cool then it kind of gives you more confidence to keep doing it. And I, I really attribute that to any kind of improvisation that I do now. And like, wow. that's, I learned that from being in that band for sure. Well, that, that's amazing that, that you learn that. Cause my, my sister, you know, she, she was trained classically as well and she can't, to my knowledge, you know, improvise at all. You know, if she does mm -hmm. improvise, you look, you go, oh yeah, that's the Beatles you've just done. And that's, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's like, and she's a much better, you know, much better keyboard player than me. You know, you can stick anything in front of her and she can play it and that, but she can't improvise. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Maybe you've bridged the gap then because you're able to do both sides, which is, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I had to unlearn, which, I mean, you know, you have that voice in your head that is telling you that you're playing it wrong or something. You have to get, you have to push that voice away. It's, was, was that your mother's voice? Was that your mother's yeah. voice in your head? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And my teachers, all my teachers. Yes, and your teacher. Yeah. And all the other harpists who were like, "You're playing it wrong." You know, like it's it's uh, kind of intense to go to school for music in that way because you you know you beat yourself up a lot. Yeah. But then, you know, then then you have this freedom on the other side of the learning to let it go, and the freedom is is the best thing in the world. You know, when you learn that. Right. There's no, there are no wrong notes that you can just do whatever you want. There are no wrong notes. Yeah. Yes, there are no wrong notes. And me and Budgie had the perfect thing because we had the perfect instrument because our instrument's so loud that we <laughs> couldn't hear anybody who said to us we were playing it wrong. And if they did, we could throw something at them and it would stop. So True. Yeah, yeah, perfect. You had stuff to throw. Yeah, you had stuff to throw. You thought that was wrong. Get a load of this. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think the opposite would be the case. You'd think that with all this knowledge and all this vast history to choose from that you've studied and you've nurtured and you've absorbed, mm. that you just kind of throw it out there. But no, I've been I worked with orchestras and the conductor or somebody has said, okay, this part, we just need the brass section to just kind of like, just kind of riff on. And they go, what do you mean? And they, and, and they get a bit like kind of nervous and they're sweating, you know, and then one of the, they'll kind of just walk away. Oh, yeah. We don't do that. Uh -huh. We don't Riff. do that. Yeah. And I, I was amazed. I was, I thought, really? Oh, and it's the first time I'd realized that th there was a difference. There's, there's something, there's something different about, I don't know what it is. Um, the ability to just stand up and 
just be vulnerable allow allow something to happen and you're not sure what's going to come next yeah even within the even with this in the strict the, the restriction of a band uh pop band mm-hmm. there's the i think somebody like the doors maybe were the first i was aware where it, it, there was song structure but the song structure could really change because the singer decided it was going to change yeah and the band was so interpretive that skillful knowledgeable of the way Morrison was in that example they would just flip it I could just you know just change and that ability is I mean must be really exciting being in the audience at that as well but but also wonderful to be in a band that can do that um because many bands get many bands get into that album syndrome you know where you're recreating everything note for note as was recorded and, and and more and more today that seems to be what people require is i want to hear that song exactly <laughs> <laughs> right as you recorded it you go i can't remember it Where should we go next, Mary? What's on your mind today? What? Let's talk about Lowell playing on my record. Oh, okay. He played a oh my God, beautiful I, part. I of- heard it last night. Did you? How did that come about? You and Lowell have done a collaboration on, on Mary on your new album, which is called, tell me again. Just called Goodbye Hotel Arcada. I love that title. You do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it uh, The title comes from this hotel that I have been to. I didn't stay there, but I took a walk around it in this little town in Croatia that I like. And this was before its renovation when um, a friend of mine who lives there was like, you know, say goodbye to Hotel Arcada. It's not going to be the same when you get back. And then it got renovated. I've been looking at it on the internet and stuff. It, it looks like a nice renovation, but, you know, it's still, you know, I think the theme of the record is like nothing will ever be the same again, <laughs> you know, for better, or for worse. It just, um, the record has a lot of, I don't know, I guess it has six songs. It has a lot of guests on it, um, which is such a delight. I haven't really had guests. And lol, lol comes in on Arrivederci. Yeah. Mary sent me the track and I thought, wow, it sounds very evocative to me, yes. you know, which is what I think a lot of your music does. Because, I mean, I was familiar with like, you know, hundreds of days and stuff and I, things I'd listened to that I loved. And but it's always very evocative. It, it's got a place in mind and so it sounded like that so i thought well that was the first thing when i you know turned on the machines that's what i want to do and i don't want to uh crowd it out but i want to add to that and bring that forward and luckily you liked it so there you go it's very nice to do yeah it's perfect i i don't know if i told you this but i um i had a party on new year's eve and i got your part on new year's eve i think you sent it to me and i just like retreated into my room away from the party and i listened to it and i was just smiling my face off but it was just like a, <laughs> I don't know it's a great way to wow. start the new year you know like in this personal space now, now you're making me blush <laughs> What do you do, Mary, when you've got you, when you you have that moment and and you're enjoying it? And how do you, if you like, bring it to a close rather than it be like everything? Some things maybe reach conclusion somehow quickly. You, it's a quick moment, but some things build over a long time. Yeah, in my experience. Yeah. So how do you know? 
do you do we fade do we you don't do you edit that's a good question this one i definitely faded in because there was stuff in the beginning um and you fade out sometimes but also i definitely have had 10 minute songs 13 minute songs you know <laughs> just like relentless um jam band style right um you know uh but also i yeah i guess i have a problem with that with the length sometimes but i feel like if people truly connect with what i'm making then they're not they're not looking for a two minute pop song they kind of know what they're getting into a little bit you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brian Eno, there's a quote from him somewhere in an interview, which was like uh, talking through, um, I think it's Another Green World. It's mm. probably the, one of the albums I played the most when I was, you know, as a college. And a lot of the tracks fade in and fade out. And his idea was that the music is like always going yeah. and you just happen to visit it. I love that. It was rather than the track fading in and out, it was like me, we, as listeners, yeah. we join it. Oh, Beautiful. So it really is. It's a much nicer way, isn't it? That 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 you could just put open a door, go amazing, yeah. and then quietly close it so you don't disturb it. I love it. Or you go into the room and spend a lot of time listening. I saw a thing, one of those things you see of yourself, you know, there's me, Susie and Severin arriving in Leicester Square for the premiere of Batman Returns, right? We'd spent all year doing the one song that isn't, was not created by Danny Elfman on his own. <laughs> so we'd done it, this collaboration and we and there's Danny DeVito as the Penguin, oh, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer as Catman, Mike, Michael Keaton's Batman and... What an astounding cast. And anyway, so I thought I've got to arrive in style. And I'm reminded because the shot I see is of me with this coat of many colors, looking like you know, uh, out of a musical. So it's a Pam Hogg creation for the night. Right. And I've got a glass of champagne in my hand. <laughs> and that's the shot that I hadn't seen before. So I'm going, oh my God, it's true. I thought I remembered the champagne in the car. <laughs> I, did, I thought, no, I invented that. So I realized that I'm probably a bit happy when I get out the car and that's why I'm smiling and I'm carrying like my CD of Batman Returns whatever <laughs> and I meet the guy out of Spinal Tap in the foyer you know with the moustache the black moustache that goes like that you know and I go like oh my god you're here and I'm saying when are you playing next and I'm because I'm you know thinking I'm just meeting the, the guy <laughs> and he just looks at me like I'm absurd of course you know <laughs> And I think it it gets it gets a little bit worse because I think I did then meet Tim Burton and said like mm -hmm. after the after the film had run and said yeah but what happened at that there was a bit of a a, a, a a bit of a mix up in the edit wasn't there there was like a, a jump <laughs> this is not the thing you said to the director of the film after you were just like no oh no but I was just being honest I, I was only giving him <laughs> not not my opinion but just you know my thoughts I don't think he would have taken me too seriously I w I was probably not in the you know. Really dressed the way I was, looking the way I was, I was probably not to be taken seriously. <laughs> no harm meant. <laughs> what did his face look like when you said that? He, uh, I, I, we had uh, the most amazing experience. We, we, we were flown over 
like on virgin upper upper class, you know, so high up in the plane, we were on top of it, you know, we (laughs) in the rarefied atmosphere outside the captain's uh, thing. And we were holed up in like that, the Bella Hotel, you know, the the big pink one, but the one, and and every day a car came to pick us up and took us around to like Warner Brothers back lot. And and we, we were invited in when Tim Burton was pulling the rushes through one of those, uh, you know, machines where you do it by hand. And he was like pulling stuff through this machine. He watching watching Batman Returns being built. Wow. It, it, it was incredible, you know. And, and, and we were just there just to talk about mm. the song that we might be able to write right. and create for this film that was happening. But it was just, you know, almost more magical than the film itself in a way. The film was amazing, you know. It was amazing, the, the style of it all. It was, it was just, you just, to be in that world for a brief moment and realize that our part was so minuscule and perhaps everybody's part is like, you know, a part of the whole, the whole thing is so huge. Um the closest I could see now is probably, you know, the Star Wars things or Barbie, where it's colossal, colossal production things. But it, it, to see the, the, the man with all the ideas and all the drawings and all the imagination at this rickety old machine, like pulling it mm. through, you know. Oh, I love it. Great, gr- great sound. For an exper- I mean, that's all I need to tell my children about when they when I grow really old and they sit on my knee and go, I remember the time I was sitting with Timothy Burton and he was pulling the film through the... They go, Daddy, what's film? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you see someone at the, you know, at they're doing their thing and it's so personal and they're just by, you know, doing the actual work and you, you watch it, I feel like that's like a private personal moment. That's such a gem to be able to witness. It's really yeah. amazing when that, you know, the cameras are off. And, you know, no one's watch, no one's filming them. They don't have to put on any face. This is just like them doing their actual work. It's like a rare gift. I had a bit of a terrifying experience at the only, only film premiere that, uh, I think we we did as the cure. We made that film in in Orange, the concert film, you know, and and it was showing on you know seventy millimeter in Leicester Square, some some huge great cinema, and our seats for the premiere were right at the very front, right at the very front. So we're all lying like you know, back. Oh my god! On our backs, looking up at this gigantic thing, you know, and then you'd see, you know your head suddenly it appear like uh, 30 foot high in front of you. That was very disconcerting. Wow. wow. Very disconcerting. That's, that's cool. Is that why people like to put their heads around the door in sound check? Not because they want to see you like 30 foot high on the screen, but they, they want to see what you do when you're not on show, you know? Yeah. 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 I always do the same thing for that reason. I, I go through my whole life doing exactly what you see on stage or in videos. I just do the whole, that, that's all I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is nice though, isn't it? Nice when you walk into a theater and somebody's rehearsing a line or somebody's like or somebody's tuning up and you realize it's like it's that person, you know, who's playing tonight. Yeah. I mean, I had that with Neil Halstead. He played he produced my last record from Slow Dive. Yeah. 
you know, I just flew there, not really knowing him at all, but just being a huge fan. Um, and, you know, watching him play guitar on my song and hearing that his guitar sound that was so embedded in my brain and heart, you know, and my makeup, I think like, um, just to watch him do that, like tears are streaming down my face. I don't know. I'm kind of a sentimental oh. person, but just to hear that sound, like so personally, you know, I think it's really, um, it's real. And to, it kind of reminds me of, um, did you ever see Prince? Well, this is different, I guess, but you know, someone at the height of their power or like totally in control of their power and their thing, like Prince, Prince playing at the Super Bowl. Um, I think, you know, you could just see it in his face that he has the confidence to just know what he's doing and to just execute it, even when the rain starts. And I guess like someone comes on and says, Prince, do you want, what do you want to do? It's it's raining really hard. Do you want to stop playing? And he says, make it rain harder. <laughs> you know, and then he plays Purple Rain. It's just, I I feel like just being a fan and appreciating what people do in their, their when they're in their power is like, it's really remarkable. It makes you really appreciate human beings when they can be so horrible sometimes. <laughs> the, yes. The the cynic in me says that uh, somewhere, you know, a Prince had one of those airplanes that seeds the clouds to fly above, you know, like that's when you drop the rain cloud stuff. And then I come on and say, you know, do you want to carry on? He goes, yes, let it rain more, you know. He did orchestrate everything. He was in control of a lot, but. He had a word with God. Before he went on, he said a little <laughs> prayer. He went, God, okay, this is about four minutes in, four minutes in, and then you can think. <laughs> I'm sure people thought that well, the year we played Glastonbury and it was like pouring with rain, absolutely pouring with rain. And we went on stage and it stopped. And the green laser that comes out from the back and hits Glastonbury Tour, you could see it you know, shining through all these little raindrops that were just dripping down and stuff. Oh, and that's where we started, killer. you know, and I was like, oh. yeah, thank you. Thank you, big fella, Heaven. for making it happen. Yeah. some shows in my yard in the pandemic um very distanced where we you know the first show that I hosted in the garden was like eight eight guests and we just hadn't heard live music in over a year you know all the clubs were closed down all of the touring musicians were just kind of stopped in our tracks and so I said what if um so I have this friend Walt McClements he plays the accordion through effects so he improvises it's like it's like this beautiful, colorful, saturated, um, drony um, accordion style that he has. And it just hits your heart so deeply. And um, so I asked him to come and play on the porch while we sort of sat distanced in the yard. And I played a little set, but he played the first set. And to hear live music, to hear someone playing music, you know, right there with you after a year and a half of not... I mean, that's, that stopped me in my track. I think everyone was crying there, you know, just to hear the power of that and to, um, to just feel that again was really magical. Yeah. 
Walt is also, he's also on my record too, my new one. Yes, so, I noticed. Um, you can kind of hear his style. Yeah. That's, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful image, I think. My moment would be Lou Reed uh, playing in London and he was playing Berlin, apparently for the first time since he... Oh my God. And so, and they had the little children on stage from the local school and it was late. And I was with... I don't think we were married then, but it was the lady who's now my wife and mother of my children. So it's my, and probably maybe her first rock concert because she was also a classically trained pianist and hadn't been to many rock concerts. So I thought, Lou Reed, Berlin. And um, I was just, I suppose it's, it's an album that moves me deeply, but to, to see the man himself many years later, uh, and he had his guitarist from the album uh, playing the, the the solos that only he could play, I suppose. And uh, the most wow. amazing, most amazing concert. Wow! And then he finished with all the hits, you know, like, uh-huh. like oh, perfect, man. perfect day, and walk on the wild side, and uh, the best. We all, it's like crazy. We, we're all crying. I think my moment was I took Gray. My son, when he was 10, to see uh, UCLA at Royce Hall to see the um, the Kodo drummers, you know, and we had, we were like third row, you know, and the curtains opened and there's this gigantic drum on, on a, like a railway cart on the middle of the stage with this man just in a, you know, like a loincloth with these two sticks that are like small trunks playing this huge drum about 10 foot in front of, of wow. Gray. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, I was bowled over and I watched Gray's face, you know, it was just like, wow. You know, it was just very, very powerful. And I liked that whole concert was, was great how you can get so much, out, you know, you know, I played drums, you know, the idea of a two hour drum concert, even to me is like, maybe it'd be something you know, I want to change something a little bit, but it didn't. You know, it was great. They, they could just, you know, they could make everything uh-huh. with it. So I was, uh, that was my, one of my favorites, I think. Wow. That is cool. I've never seen anything like that. They, they destroy theatres, Kodo, <laughs> they did. Oh. They used to come to Sadler's Wells in London every year and more plaster would fall from the proscenium <laughs> every time. Right. Yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it. It was uh, kind of amazing. I'm excited to hear Grey play. I'm taking Grey on tour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Well, you know, he'll be excited to hear your, your stories traveling as well. I know he will. Oh, yeah. I just bought a new car yesterday. Okay. A van. Good. That is going to drive us around. So oh. I'm really excited about this new car. It's I do have 60 months of car payments, which is a long time, but um it's a nice it's a nice minivan. It's going to hold the harp, it's going to hold anything else, the luggage, all that the instruments, so necessary so now you know where gray's gonna be for the next uh, 60 months lol yeah right yeah. paying off the, my debt <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's the dog the dog obviously wants to get going yeah. somewhere i should we take our cue it's, it's just so lovely meeting you and I'm, i can't wait until we meet him meet in person yes i i love the record thank you for involving me and um and thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for making it a ma- magic, yeah. magic moments on um, our, our little album. It's lovely. Thank you.
Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2023.